do what people are supposed to do, and I did not turn my phone off. But in this case, I'm just going to tell you that I'm glad I didn't. I just got a prayer request that came in. Uh, Joe Federhoff is showing significant symptoms of COVID-19, and they're asking that we pray for Paul McGill. As you know, he's in his 90s. He lives with them, and uh, it would not be good if he got covid uh, Sharon and Caleb have already have had COVID, so uh, we're done there. But uh, nonetheless, let's come before the Lord before we preach here and uh, bring them before the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the br- privilege we have of bringing others before you. In this case, we bring Joe Federhoff, and uh, we also pray especially for his father-in-law that he would not uh, contract this. Uh, most of us know him, and... Um, He is quite frail in his old age, and we ask that uh, you would protect him. Pray for Joe, too, that he'd have a successful recovery. And, Lord, now we ask that uh, you would guide us as we look at the truths before us this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22. And I'm going to now turn my phone off so that when Faye calls me afterwards, it won't come on. And then she'll want to know why I didn't answer. We are looking currently, last week and this week, um, and this is the part two, uh, of why we are mission-minded. Notice what I said, mission, not missions, because the mission is bigger than simply missions of any sort. Uh, We obviously are a big part of that. But this whole concept, this whole idea, this issue is not simply money. It's not simply people. It's not simply helping others. Um, It's not supplying resources only. It is all of the above. But here's the one non-negotiable. It always includes Christ. If it doesn't include Christ, it is not our mission. It might be nice, it might be good, but it's not our mission. Our mission is to take Christ to the world in all kinds of different ways, all kinds of venues and things. One of them just this morning uh, we heard about again. So last week we looked at the big picture. Today we're going to look at some very specific things of why is it that Christ needs to be the only center. No other center, only Christ. And that's what we're going to look at. And uh, what I'm going to say today is not new to anyone that that comes here to Garden Chapel. These are things you have heard over and over again. So in the next 32 minutes or so, we are going to look at these principles and hopefully put them in a different perspective, the perspective being that Why are we mission-minded? Because there are some things that are absolutely true. First of all, there is the issue of sin. People are depraved. Depraved simply means that people are corrupt, they're evil, and they're perverted. Sin came in with Adam and Eve. It has affected mankind from the very beginning. It has been passed on to us since that time. And every single person is born separated with God. Now, this does not mean that people don't have a conscience. We talked about that one last week. That God has indeed revealed to us truth. 
It doesn't mean that people cannot make choices. They can make choices. They are required to make choices. In fact, as one of the bottom lines of ministry and counseling and everything for me is that God requires people to make real choices that have real consequences. If we believe that all people were born in sin and that all people are sinners, we have to realize that all people have a need for Christ. There is no other way to be right with God. There is no possibility of that happening. We do have a conscience. We do have the ability to make decisions. And uh, lots of people do humanitarian work. And I was really happy to hear, sorry, I can't remember your name. Uh, what, what, Lisa. When Lisa said, it's always about Christ. Because there can be a lot of people that do philanthropy. Uh, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But that does not make us and give us a good standing with God. Nothing we can do gives us merit with God. Because when people who are sinful do good things, they're not doing it with the right motive. They're doing it for lots of motives, but the motive is not to show the love of Christ, to show the work of Christ. When we are involved in missions, it is always to point people to Christ. And so all of these good things do not merit favor with God. They do not meet God's standard because God not only looks at what happens on the outside, but he also looks at what our motive is, where we're coming from. In fact, as in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says that the heart, that, that is the whole of a, a human being, is more deceitful than all else, is desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Each one of us was born that way. We don't like to think about it that way, but man has been affected by sin in every possible way. Our mind has been affected. Our emotions have been affected. Our will has been affected. Our body has been affected. If our bodies weren't affected by sin, COVID would have no, no hold on us or any other sickness for that matter, and death would not actually take place. So we have an absolutely holy, righteous God who is glorious eternally, and then we have man who is sinful and can, on his own, not have any merit or right standing before God. But praise the Lord, and God has never changed God always is saying, I'm holy and you're not. I'm the creator, you're the creation. You, I have never sinned, never can sin. You have absolutely sinned. And there is that great divide between us. The verse I have before us is not new to anyone, but it says for all. And I want you to notice that as we go through this today. The word all or every is going to appear over and over again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were created in the image of God, but that image has absolutely been tarnished. That passage before this says, as it is written, there's none righteous. That means no one has a right standing before God. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't mince words. 
There's none righteous, not even one. He was a lawyer, remember? Holds his pants up with a belt and suspenders. He's saying, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks from God. And you might say, well, I know there are people, and I, I talk to them, and they are actually seeking for God, and, and they want to be, you know, right with God. But uh, the problem is they're not doing it God's way. Look at exactly what it says. First of all, nobody's right with God. There's none who understands. The world does not, unless we give the gospel, the world does not understand how utterly sinful people are. They don't understand how utterly wide the gap is between sinful people, and they don't understand how holy God is and how impossible that chasm is. They don't understand that. And it says there's none who seek for God. And you might say, well, the co-worker of mine really is trying. All the trying in the world won't make it. Because what we don't seek is seek for God in His way. There are people all over the world. I said this last week. Every person is a religious person. Every person worships something, even if it's themselves or nature or whatever it happens to be. Every person worships something. But when we seek for God, we have to seek according to His will, according to His word, according to the work of Christ. And so the world in general is seeking for God in a totally ungodly way. We are entirely sinful and separated from God. If you believe that, it will make you mission-minded. That means your neighbor. That means across the world. That means humanitarian-type things. That means Ben Buckner, and uh, if you didn't get his email, uh, they're having another baptism service in Papua New Guinea. What a praise that is. The church is getting established. You, you look at all of these things and you realize that people need to understand their condition. They don't. And so if we're going to be mission-minded, we have to start with something that's not all that fun to talk about. Sin, a separation from God, and an inability to do anything on our own that changes that. The second thing we need to know if we're mission-minded is that Christ died for all people. Now, if all people were sinful and Christ died for all people, we need to put those two things together. Those two things can never be separated. See, there was a complete sinfulness, but there is a complete solution. The solution is Christ. As we go on, and we're going to look uh, ultimately at two main passages, but we're going to find that in the one passage... It says, in him, or in Christ, or in the beloved, ten times in 13 verses. Why? Because it always focuses on Christ. Never focuses on any other solution than Christ. One of the things that we can see, and you can see it in front of you, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it says, For there is one God, not a whole bunch of gods, not diverse number of gods. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. Remember the gap. One mediator, one that can go across the gap. 
only one, the man Christ Jesus. It is not Buddha, it's not Krishna, it's not Joseph Smith, it's nobody else, period. It's not the Pope, it's nothing. No one can bridge that gap. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ has done that. So the solution has already been carried out. It's the application that is our situation that we need to deal with. All are sinners. Christ died for all. And fact is, it says he gave himself as a ransom for all. There's our word again. The testimony given at the proper time. We know that happened approximately 2,000 years ago. People in the past, they look forward to the Messiah. We simply, from a greater vantage point, can look back and say, yes, at the proper time. All history focuses on that proper time. He gave himself as a ransom, paid the price for our sin. No one else has ever done that. No one else could ever do that. In fact, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. There are none righteous, but there is one who's righteous. And only one who's righteous. That's Jesus Christ. What did he do? He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Notice the inclusiveness one more time. He is the propitiation, big word. I can't believe I actually got it out this morning because I usually stumble over those things. But propitiation simply has to do with a satisfaction. That gap is a problem because when we're sinners, we are enemies of God. He's holy. We rebel against that. We want to do it our way. But the reconciliation is only one direction. God never changes. Never changes. You have to remember that because that's a big part of this sermon. God never changes. He is always going to judge sin. He is always going to be against sin and sinners. There has to be a solution, and that solution is Jesus Christ. He doesn't change. The only thing that changes is that his wrath, his judgment, has been satisfied. We who were enemies of Christ have now been reconciled to him. God has never reconciled to us. If that was the case, God would have to change. God has not changed. His attitude towards sin, his view of sin, his dealing with sin never, ever changes. The solution is one who bridged that gap, and that's Jesus Christ. So he has become the propitiation, the one that made it possible for sinful people to be reconciled to God. And notice how it says, it's, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. That is to believers. If you've trusted Christ, he is your satisfaction. He is the one that made it possible for you to have a right relationship with God. But he doesn't stop there, and this is where our mission continues. 
but also for those of the whole world. Notice it doesn't say some people, or people you like, or people of a different color, or a certain race, or a color, or any of those things, or just a certain select amount of people. It is the whole world. There is no one in the world that's not covered by the perfect solution. If that's the case, if all of them are sinners and the solution has been made available to all people, then guess what? Our mission includes all people because all people are sinful and separated from God and all people are covered by the work of Christ. No one is excluded from that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Verses 9 and 10, it goes on this way. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is this that we labor and strive. Notice the words, labor and strive. Nobody ever said missions or ministry or missions is easy. It is not. It is a lot of work. In fact, as he said, we labor and we strive. This is never going to be like falling off a log. No, it's never that way. It is always going to require a decision on our part. It's going to require doing on our part. It's going to require a change of our lifestyle because if we're going to really be involved in mission, we're going to have to do things. It might be simply going across the street. That's where it starts. If you're not doing that, you're not going to do it someplace else. We need put in the effort that is needed, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, he just takes what we saw in the last passage and flips it around. He says, no, he's the Savior of all men. His sacrifice was sufficient for all people, and it is available to all people. We'll see that in the next point, because As we look at this, we realize that God has made and offers this salvation available to all people. Think about this. If it is meant to be available to all people, do you, and you have to ask this question, do you have a part, are you willing to be a part of making sure that people know that it's an open invitation? It's an invitation that's available to all people. There are people around the world, and you need to struggle with this. If you haven't, you need to think about it, is that all people have a solution to their sin problem, but do they even know about it? Christ makes it clear that what he has done is available, but we have a responsibility of making sure they know about it. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. We've looked at that when we talked about government, because it talks about praying for kings and all who are in authority and all those things, that they would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But here he says very clearly, he desires all men to be saved. Christ didn't die and say, you know what, there's some people I can do without. No, he he wants everyone to know the truth. That's why I make uh, no apologies for we don't have a lot of gold plating and a lot of things around here because we put a lot of resources, 
lot of time, a lot of effort into mission because people need to know the invitation is open to them and it's available to them. But if no one has gone, they may not know about it. And so we need to make sure that we focus on our marching orders, as I said last week. You know, as you're going, make disciples. So he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Men are striving all over, and, and we have great strides in, in all kinds of things, including medicine and vaccines, that's a biggie today, and all things. We have great strides in these things. But what they really need is the knowledge of the truth. Nothing wrong with those other things. But the bottom line is we need to strive in this direction. And how do I know that I'm right? Because John chapter 16, verse 8 says this. And when he, that is, Jesus is speaking and he's talking about the Holy Spirit who had not been sent in the way that he is sent to us in the church, and that's the permanently indwelling Holy Spirit. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Notice what it doesn't say, that the Holy Spirit came to convict certain people. No. It uses our inclusive term one more time. It is the world, everyone. The Holy Spirit's job and his main job today, uh, there are lots of jobs that the Holy Spirit does, but in our case before us is he is the one that does the convicting. He is the one that brings it to a person's attention. And it says, concerning sin. Why? Because they don't believe on me. That's how the passage continues. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of the world, this world, Satan, is already judged. He was judged 2,000 years ago. We need to know that the Holy Spirit is telling people, you're believing wrong. You can't go to the Father. You can't enter heaven. Like Jesus, you're not right with God. And, oh, by the way, uh, the prince of the world is judged. He was the original character that brought sin into the world. He's already been judged. So understand, God has to judge sin and any kind of rebellion. That's what we need to know. So when we take our mission seriously, and I had a hard time with this when I was a new Christian because I thought I had to persuade people. Now, there is a persuasion that goes with this. But I thought it was my job to get people saved. Nope. My mission is to tell people the truth. Tell them they're sinners. Tell them Christ died for them. Tell them the invitation is to them. The actual work of of getting to someone's mind and heart and will is the Holy Spirit. And when I finally figured that one out, It took out the fear. (laughs) It took out a lot because I realized if they reject it, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the convicting of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit absolutely uses the Word of God. In fact, as Jesus himself said in John chapter 12, he said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Now, that doesn't mean all people are going to get saved. But he said... 
my crucifixion, that's when I'm lifted up and the, the context makes it clear it's not his ascension, but when he is on the cross, he is going to draw attention to himself and to the perfect solution that he provides. If the solution has been provided and Christ is drawing people to himself and the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to those people, we have a job. And our job is to be the mouthpiece, the feet, the hands of this issue. And we need to move forward. And now I bring you to Matthew chapter 22. And if you'd like to turn there, I'd encourage you to do that. This will be the quickest, shortest um, explanation of this passage you'll ever see. But this passage is one that to me is really important because it gets across a number of different points. It ends with what I have up there. For many are called, but few are chosen. The word called is the word invited, and the word chosen is the word elect. Here's the parable that Jesus tells. He says the, the, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king, and the king's son is going to get married. So this is an important event. And so he sends out the invitation to all the... And, and believe me, I am paraphrasing this whole thing, so don't go and say, oh, you got something wrong. Read it for yourself. That's what I would encourage you to do. And he goes out, and all the important people are invited. They're called. And they turn around, and they say, nah, we're not coming. That's verse um, 3. And then he sends the slaves out again, and he invites more people. He said, I've got everything ready. Remember, the banquet is already set up. He said, the, the, everything is butchered, uh, the food is ready, the feast is ready, and they paid no attention. So now, that's the second invitation, the second call. It went out, went out to select people, then it went out to a, another group of people, and uh, in both cases, they rejected it. And uh, they went on their way, and in fact is... You know what they did? They took the slaves, seized them, and beat them and killed them. Whoa, hold it a second. This is an invitation to come to the king's son's wedding feast. And they reject it. Notice what's happening. The invitation is there. So the king, after he deals with those folks, he says to his rest of his slaves, go out and invite everyone. Go out to the main highways, go out to the streets, and just walk down the street and invite people to come in. Because the original people, they didn't come. So guess what? The invitation is there. Whoever. The invitation is open to everyone on the countryside. Whatever street they go down, they're invited. And so it says that uh, they came. And uh, as they came, and you have to understand, this is already set up. So this is not like weeks ahead and, you know, plan for, say, the date next year kind of thing. But he has wedding clothes for all these people. These are poor people. These are the people of the world, the people that we're sending blankets to, for example, um, or the people that we're sponsoring a child. It's those kinds of people. And he has wedding garments for them. And when they come in, you put on the wedding garment, and that makes you appropriate for the occasion. The king comes in, and he sees one person there without wedding garment. Now, remember... Everything's been provided. 
You see, the sacrifice, the ransom, is for everyone. It's available to everyone. And here's someone that wants to be in the wedding feast without putting on the garments. And he says, seize that guy. Throw him into the the place where there's fire and uh, darkness and all those kinds of things. And then he says this. For many were called, but few were chosen. If you want to know who the chosen are, it's every person. If you want to know who the elect or the chosen are, I'm I'm sorry, I got that backwards, I'm sorry. Uh, Who the called or the invited are, it's everybody. Who are the chosen? Those that are willing to put on the wedding clothes. That's it. We don't need to struggle with a whole lot of these other things. It's straightforward. We have an invitation. Come on in. Everything's been prepared. Christ has done it all. It's available to you. What you need to do is appropriate it. You need to put on the wedding clothes. That's trusting Christ. There's nothing else. How do we do that? Next point. It's by faith. Notice what it says. And this is the other passage. I don't have time uh, to go into all of this. But this is the passage that has ten times in 13 verses, in Him. The passage is one focus and one focus only. It's about Christ. If our mission has any other focus other than Christ as its pinnacle, all kinds of things. I don't care if it's blowing your neighbor's snow. I don't care if it's uh, holding a tractor pole where you give the gospel or giving blankets or starting a church in Papua New Guinea or going to the shepherds in Lesotho or wherever we're involved. If there is any main purpose other than Christ, we've got it wrong. He says... That in him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news, having also believed. That goes right back to what we talked about in the last point. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. In him, in the beloved, in Christ. The focus is always on Christ. In the beginning of that passage, there are people that uh, get all bobbled up in verse 4. But it says, just as He chose us in Him. It doesn't mean that there are specific people chosen. What it says is the instrumentality or the means of salvation was determined before the world was even made. It is in Him, in Christ, in the Son, in the Beloved. We need to point people to faith in Him. Anything less than that is not our mission. Romans chapter 3, verse 26. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. One who is just is one who has been made right declared righteous before God. And notice how that happens. By faith in Jesus. There is no other way. In John chapter 3, verse 17, we always stop at 16. But 17 and 18 give us the full picture. 
For God didn't send His Son into the world to judge the world. That's not why Christ came. The law did that. But that the world might be saved through Him. Notice the word. The world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because, why? He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, I've been here 33 years. I believed this before I was a pastor. But the point is, it's always about Christ. And it's always about faith in Christ, nothing else. There is no other way. People that have not trusted Christ are already judged. We have a world in front of us that's already judged. Billions of them. The church as a whole has been kind of lackadaisical. Lackadaisical, I'm sorry. I'll get that right. But we need to understand that we have a mission. We have marching orders. As you are going. It's every day. It's all the time. It's every situation. Oh, and yeah, we can focus on very specific things. We can say we have an evangelistic outreach or we have a mission program. And if you want to know anything about it, Mike's sitting there. He's the chairman. Talk to him. He's, he can give you the information. The point is we have a message That's an invitation to the world. Why? And why can it be? Because Christ died for the sins of the whole world. No one is excluded. But a lot of people haven't heard. That's the difference. One last thing. All the fixes of the world are temporary. All the good deeds. There are lots of people that are total unbelievers. They're agnostic or atheist or whatever. Humanists. And they do good things. And it helps people. And it does. We're not going to, you know, mince words here. Good things are good things. But they're temporary fixes. They're only good for here and now. They're not good for eternity. The cool thing is that we have a message that says, this is permanent. Even when you die. It's still helpful. No, it's not just helpful. It is everything. Because you have the privilege of being in the presence of God for all eternity. In Jude chapter 1, and there is only one chapter, it says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Every person gives an answer for their life. Every person has to give an answer for what they've done with Christ when they die. He says here, you can be in his presence blameless and with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Think about that. We have a mission That's unlike any other mission. Because ours is not just here and now. You can be on a mission in the military. You can be a mission on some, uh, you know, nice, nice thing that you're doing. But our mission 
is not only from the past and now, but for the future. That's a challenge, and it should be. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, what a joy it is to know that we have a mission that doesn't end at our last breath, our last heartbeat, that last brainwave, but it goes on for all eternity. That we, as an end result of our mission, will have people standing and worshiping before the throne of God forever and ever and ever for all eternity. Lord, I pray we would never take this as something secondary in our life, but that our mission, our marching orders would be carried out in whatever way you choose to use us. Every one of us will be slightly different. But Lord, we also know that it's all in Him, in Christ, in the Beloved. I pray that we would never lose sight of that, regardless of what our circumstances are, regardless of what's happening in the world. And I pray that even in the tough times like this past year, that instead of griping, moaning, groaning, complaining, that we'd be pointing people to Him because He died for them. And He has an eternal future that's glorious before them. Challenge us sufficiently, Lord, that we would do our part. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.